Ah, yeah, the familiar strains of the theme tune to this snap. It's our weekly American football show here on uh, OTB. And I'm delighted to say we've got our uh, regular crew with you this afternoon. We've got Ronan Mullen and Keen Faye. Gentlemen, how are you? Keen, I'll start with you. How are you getting on? I'm doing well, Jaram, sir. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying this lovely weather. It's just getting us through this dystopian period at the moment. And how, how dystopian is it for you? What are you, what, what are you in, indulging in that you wouldn't normally indulge in? Well, actually, this week is weird for me because I have one week every year uh, where I get migraines, and it's always the week when the sun first comes out and hits its strongest point. So I've been really sick this week, but it's been kind of a sickness no one cares about. So I, I, I'm surviving happily as I normally do. I'm fine. No, no complaints, really. And uh, what are you binge watching? The Shield. I've, been, I've got through four seasons in a week. The Channel 4 has all of them on, on demand, so it's well worth a look. Uh, the, a curiously underrated TV show, The Shield, it turns out. Um, but if you read the good TV critics, they always bundle it in there with um, a lot of other zeitgeisty shows that was kind of a bridge between normal TV and The Sopranos. And it definitely wouldn't have gotten made today. Why not? <laughs> it's, it's a lot of problematic stuff. And okay. Vic Mackey, the main, the main character, is like... You, you love him because of the way he is, but he's pure evil. Okay, right. Okay. Ronan Mullen, how are you getting on? How's uh, you're, you're up north somewhere. You're not really. You're in Dundalk. I'm in Louth, yeah. yeah. In the, just on the outskirts of Dundalk. But uh, I think we had Vinnie Perth on the show during the week. He kind of relayed what the vibe is like around here. It's eerily quiet and the town would normally be busy enough. So it's just uh, much like the rest of the country, I presume. And what arcane boxing matches from the 1930s have you been digging out on YouTube? I think the first classic fight we're going to cover, myself and Phil Egan, is Prince Nassim Hamed, who you should be accompanied by in studio somewhere in the corner there, yeah. against Kevin Kelly from the late 90s. And that was when he made his big splash in New York City and had all this pomp and ceremony around his entrances. So hopefully people can check that one out and we'll, we'll be covering that in the next few days. Yeah, of course, he got carried in, uh, not that famously, but um, it's famous now. Cause did you dig out the one where he got carried in and it was the precursor to Tyson Fury's ring entrance? No, I, I did see that one during the rounds, all right. But for this one, he did. He had a big, long um, catwalk, basically. The, the, I think the ring walk went on for about 11 minutes. And Larry Merchant said, this is the end of modern civilization as we know it. So uh, <laughs> he made a splash when he went over there, Jared. Things didn't quite pan out when he fought Barrera, as people will remember. But had some big nights against the likes of Wayne McCullough. So... Uh, had a, he burned bright. His star burned shortly, but it burned bright. Yeah, yeah. It's a stereotypical Roman Campbell, for, uh, Roman Candle, even as opposed to who the hell is Roman <laughs> Campbell. Uh, yeah, okay, all right. He was right about the end of civilization. He was just uh, two decades too early for it. <laughs> Let's get into some American football talk. American football on off the ball is brought to you in association with the Erlingus College Football Classic Navy against Notre Dame at the Aviva Stadium on the 29th of August. Check out collegefootballireland.com for game tickets and more. Are we going to start with Cam Newton? Is that the big story of the week? Is that what we're looking for? I guess we are. The, he put up a video that made him look like a Marvel villain where he's in the gym. He's, I think it's gospel music going and he's shouting how they don't believe in him or they gave up on him. Uh, I think it's on Instagram if you're looking for it. But Cam also in that video looked absolutely shredded. He was in probably the best shape he's ever been in. He looks like a massive linebacker rather than a quarterback. And for him, that's kind of the big question mark. How is his body? And if his body, having all those abs doesn't really do anything for him, it's the shoulder that all everyone cares about, and it's the foot. So if those are healthy, it'll be great, it'll be fine. He'll, he'll be another superstar quarterback. He's been one of the best quarterbacks in the last 10 years. If he's not, he'll be completely useless and have no worth. So the question mark for Cam is, when can he get medicals? 
because he ha- obviously with everything going on with COVID-19, he hasn't been able to travel to facilities and get checked properly. I would make that very skeptical or I would make that a huge problem for him getting signed anywhere until they hold this whole thing passes because nobody's going to sign him based on what he's done over recent years because his body has just looked broken. Isn't there a way that he could get a private jet to an airfield and get picked up in a large limousine where he's maintaining social distancing from the driver? Like, you know, rich people are going to be able to get away around this, Key, and if someone really wants to get him in their building, they're going to be able to do that, right? Well, Jar, you know the way our phones on every device we have listens to us when we're talking and reacts and prods us and understands exactly what we're saying at all times? My phone literally vibrated while I was talking there, and it says Cam Newton working out with Tyrod Taylor. So they're obviously working out together somewhere it's accessible. I would assume they weren't together at the start of this whole thing happening. So they've come together since. There are probably facilities that they, they can all do this. But the question mark is, are teams interested enough to do it? Because Cam has really, they've been trying to trade Cam for months. Like they've, they've known for a while that he's not going to be their long-term quarterback. And the Chargers, who have Tyrod entering this, entering this season as their starting quarterback, are one of the teams you'd expect to be interested because they don't have a proven starter or a long-term option, I guess. This might be a case for Cam where he has to sit out and wait to see where the quarterbacks in the draft land. And when they when they uh, get, go to different places, he might have more of a market because teams have become more desperate. Or he might have to wait until August for training camp injuries. Cam's situation is a really poor one because you've also got a lot of teams in the league who probably wouldn't have rated him highly, even though he's been an extremely good quarterback, because the way they will look at it is statistically and not account for the fact that his receivers have been Ke- uh, Kelvin Benjamin, Devin Funchess, Ted Ginn, Corey Brown. I went back to his um, <clears throat> Super Bowl. <clears throat> Sorry. I went back to his Super Bowl against the Broncos when he had, uh, he had that performance. Everyone talked about the fumble and him in the, in, the, in the press conference afterwards, and they focused on that. And when you go back through that game, you realize his receivers dropped seven or eight passes for about 90 to 100 yards, and one of them created an interception. If his receivers had been in any way competent in that game, they probably would have won it, and he'd have had that Super Bowl win in his locker he'd have had that in his contract he would have had probably more of a long-term deal or a better deal with carolina it would have been a lot tougher for them to release him and if he was going to be released he'd have had a market immediately that's how fickle the nfl quarterback market is look at nick Foles. look at look look at um who at the market teddy bridgewater just got a 60 million dollar deal from the Panthers themselves last year he was available for nothing the year before he was available for nothing he won a couple of games during the regular season with the saints and suddenly he comes with value so Cam needs to prove himself a little bit, and he's, a, he's very unfortunate the way his career has panned out over the second half. All right, Rodan, what do you make of this whole situation? Is there a, a, a natural home that you can see somewhere where Cam Newton's particular skill set would be appreciated, where they could actually turn him into a dominant figure? I do think the Chargers would be a good fit in the sense that what we've spoken about in previous weeks, where he has that sort of captivating personality which might draw bums on seats. The Patriots as well, like, there has always been murmurings that... Uh, Belichick was a bit high on him. I know accuracy is a big thing with Newton, but I think Belichick could obviously iron out those kinks. I'd obviously love to see Jameis Winston at the Patriots because uh, we all know Bill Belichick is the quarterback whisperer when it comes to, or the the sort of rogue uh, whisperer where he can get these guys and sort of iron out those kinks in their personality or, or that kind of thing. But didn't work um, out so well with Aaron Hernandez. Just want to put that one out. No, there, I, w- <laughs> I was gonna. I didn't want to. I didn't want to cite that specific example, but it's kind of his. Uh, his trademark where he brings in these guys that no one else wants to take a chance on and, and manages to steer them onto the right path. But with um, with Newton, I just wonder, is it, I don't know if you want to theorize about conspiracies, but like, is it, is there a social aspect where in a lo-fi sort of Colin Kaepernick way, 
the juice isn't worth the squeeze with him, where a lot of owners are just thinking, oh, we can't be dealing with all the post-press conference, even the wardrobe and all this kind of stuff. I just wonder is if there's a little bit of that where he hasn't done himself any favours, quote-unquote, in, in how he's conducted himself in the eyes of the owners, you know? Is, is that not the type of thing that, like in a showbiz environment where you're trying to sell tickets, sells tickets and gets people interested and people are talking about that? Is that, is that like not, not actually part of the whole ringmaster element of this where you are desperately trying to get people to talk about your team and have some cut through in, in the markets, in most of the markets that we're talking about, particularly, for example, in Los Angeles? Yeah, well, like that would totally be my point of view on it, but I'm just trying to think there's no, there's no reason why the likes of Philip Rivers who's totally gone shy at the moment and is getting paid out the wazoo by the Colts for some apparent reason. Even though, like, I think Brissett's probably a better option at this stage in their respective careers. Like, Newton, just, if you look at the stats, do the whole quarterback A versus quarterback B thing, there's no reason why this guy's without a job. So you kind of have to delve a little deeper and just wonder or speculate why that might be the case. Injuries, like, notwithstanding, I think once the medicals get done and maybe if things were a little bit, if there was a bit more clarity around that, I know current circumstances are dictating otherwise, but I think he will ultimately land somewhere. He's got a lot of potential. Like he was an MVP in very recent memory. So it's not as if uh, he's a busted flush. So I hope like he's one of the most entertaining players in the league when he's firing on all cylinders. So hopefully he lands somewhere soon. Yeah, he's great to watch. Ken, your, your uh, background has magically changed there. That wall of guitars was obviously just a green screen. It's just something that you flick on, like one of those fancy, uh, expensive picture frames they have these days. Uh, these are new workplaces. I've got to try and get used to I'm running around the house here looking for the best signal to try and get the best product for everyone at home. Um, let's move on and talk about Jadevian Clowney, who was drafted number one overall pick um, and then immediately had uh, a broken kneecap essentially that took him ages and ages to come back from and never quite fulfilled the potential of somebody who was supposed to be that generational pass rusher which seems to come along every two or three years as opposed to once the generation which is kind of the <laughs> definition of generational. Uh, he was supposed to be Miles Garrett. He was supposed to be the guy coming out this year um, but actually there have been a few games where he's been very, very good and he's managed to take over the game or uh, to wreck up the opposition. And then the next week he'll be grand and the week after that he'll have a bit of an injury and then the week after that he'll be good again. Uh, that's when he's actually putting four game stretches together. So is that why he's not signed, Kean? Is his expectation too high? Are people trying to lowball him? What's going on here? Well, I think one of the things we have to note with Clowney is he wasn't just a generational player. He was coming out of college as, like, like there, there was a college football season where everyone was focused on a defensive end, and that's all that mattered. It was every game was clowny. Every game was, we're going to watch this guy and see what he's going to do. He was far surpassed just the generational talent. People had been talking about him since high school. He was supposed to be one of the greatest ever players. And he just, he had microfracture surgery early in his career. That had a significant impact on his development. So he never developed a full repertoire of pass rushing moves. So he never really learned how to use his hands properly. He's never learned how to leverage blockers and move blockers out of his way once he's initially engaged. So as a pass rusher, he's struggled massively. Like, no one would believe it now, but Khalil Mack came out of college seemingly as the lesser player than Genevieve Clowney. And even in the early stages of their career, the argument was that Mack wasn't as good because he wasn't as versatile, he wasn't as athletic. So now you've got the complete opposite situation where Clowney is this dominant run blocker, this outstanding physical presence who is incredibly difficult to move off the line, who has a huge work ethic, has a huge work rate, does everything you need him to do. He just does not have that pass rushing ability, nor does he have that production. So he's now in this difficult position where he wants $20 million a year. He's seen what Aaron Donald has gotten paid. He's seen what 
Jalen Ramsey kind of money is going to be. He's seen what Byron Jones has gotten paid. The he wants Buckner. to be one of those defenders. Yeah, DeForest Buckner is uh, probably the closest comparison. The, he wants the $20 million per year, and teams don't want to give him that much money, so he's getting a bit of a reality check right now. Can I he's ask got a, a decision to make. Can I ask a question? Does he play through the centre, or is he an, an edge player? And like My understanding of exactly what the difference between those types of players are uh, tends to break down when I see players play in both positions sometimes and go, oh, hang on, how, how does this... That's not what I was supposed to understand from this. How does this work? So what does he do? Well, he, he can play anywhere on the defensive line, but he plays on the outside. He's, he's primarily a defensive end. It depends on the scheme. It's a kind of a big, long, complicated nonsense, nonsense answer I could give you. But he's also played out, or he's also played inside linebacker in Houston in the past, which isn't something you should do because you come up against an offensive coordinator like Kyle Shanahan who rips you apart, and that's what happened. That ended that project. Athletically-wise, he can play anywhere. I think his best-suited position would be as an interior defender, but he has never really been that full-time. He's always played on the edge and then moved inside on occasion on obvious passing downs. Because once he's inside, he can kind of just be that brute force who's fighting and punching his way through and getting to the edge, whereas on, or getting to the quarterback, rather. Whereas coming off the edge, you have to have a little bit more nuance to your game. You have to have the right footwork and the right hand placement. And you're coming up against offensive tackles who have the same size and the same athleticism as you. A guy like Jason Peters, who is on the free agent market right now because he's older. But a guy like him, he can match Clowney's physical ability, but is more technically refined and he's smarter with his footwork. So he can contain Clowney, whereas guys playing on the inside are typically less athletic. So they rely more on technique. But when that athleticism comes and hits them at the size that Clowney is at, they simply can't do it. It's like putting a heavyweight boxer in with a strawweight boxer. You're just never going to have that matchup no matter the difference in technique. But for Clowney now, he's got a really important decision to make because he can either stay stubbornly with his demands to get this huge contract and this huge long-term money and eventually his market's going to dwindle or he can consider taking a one-year one deal, which is a bigger risk for him because of his past injuries and his past injuries are part of the reason teams don't want to pay him. So he can take this one-year deal, try and prove himself as a pass rusher, come back next offseason and get that contract he thinks he deserves. And what do you think is most likely to happen? I think he signs a deal for maybe 14, 15 million a year, which isn't bad money Like for a guy like him who hasn't got huge production either. I think he gets three or four years, probably tries to have huge uh, numbers or get a void in that after three years so he can show out, have big years, and then get one more big contract before the end of his career. Yeah, so is he worth the investment, in your view, from anybody at 14, 15 million? You're like, yeah, okay, take that risk in case you get somebody who turns into a 20 million player. I think he is worth that investment, but not for that reason. Like, I look at a team like the Colts, and the Colts have kind of frustrated me because they've had huge money over the last couple of years, and they just signed Xavier Rhodes. They signed Justin Houston last year. They burned money on Phillip Rivers, complete waste of a contract because he's at the end of his career. Like, they could have taken one-third of that money and given it to Clowney and front-ended it so he gets all the big money in the first couple of years, then long-term he's actually a value player. Like, he's going to make most defenses... Actually, he makes every defense better as a base defender he's not the dominant pass rusher he's not what you want him to be but he's still an extremely good football player who's an extremely valuable player it's why the Seahawks traded for him last offseason like they don't typically go for players who are bad football players Pete Carroll and John Schneider have been very good at evaluating pro, pro, pro players so not draft but guys in free agency guys who are on other rosters so they're a smart coaching staff they just recognize he's not worth that huge money I think someone who who has a lot of cap space who, like, who isn't necessarily in a rush to win right now either, would be a great fit. All right, Christian Pierce has been in touch to say um, Cam's problem is that he isn't clutch. And Mark Kelly's been in touch to say the Steelers need a quarterback. Big Ben is done. 
and Rudolph ain't good enough. Uh, he wants to know, is there a possibility that Cam ends up going to either the Patriots or the Steelers? Well, the Patriots make some sense because they obviously don't have any quarterback right now. The Steelers make a lot of sense in my mind because Ben Roethlisberger is washed up. But the problem is the Steelers very clearly don't believe that. They just extended him and gave him huge money. He's one of the most highly paid quarterbacks in the league. So you're not going to get him in Pittsburgh. I know there's been talk of that because there's been comparisons to when Michael Vick came out of prison, which is a very, very weird jump to make with Cam Newton, who's a former MVP who's just coming off an injury. But there's been comparisons to that because Vick went there, played as a backup, and then went on to revolve, or re rebirth his career. And Newton is getting that comparison, but I just don't think it makes sense. I don't think it'll work out. Patriots make the most sense, but you haven't seen that happen yet. So I don't know what the Patriots are doing. I, they, it can't just be what they've currently got. It can't be Jared Stidham. But then again, maybe it is. Bill is crazy. Yeah, um, who knows. Uh, Ronan, anything you want to talk about, Jadavian Clowney, before we move on? Yeah, just on the face of it, you would think he has a bit of leverage there because the Seahawks were quite poor, you know, contrary to their history. They were quite poor in the past. Just, I think they had the second worst uh, return in the league, 28 sacks. So in theory, he should have... He should be able to go to them and say, you need me badly. And I know Pete Carroll's been linked with, well, he has links with Clay Matthews and Everson Griffin from uh, from uh, USC, rather. So he had been linked with them and short of getting one of them in, I think they have to resign Clowney. But like something similar happened with Jimmy Smith. And I know it's not a reputational comparison because Clowney obviously comes with a lot more reputation in that regard. But Jimmy Smith was offered money during the year to resign with the Ravens and turned it down, thought there'd be a good market for him in, the, in free agency. And there just hasn't been. So he re-signed this year for less money than he was offered a few months ago. So sometimes this happens. We saw it with Melvin Gordon during the last season yeah. where he thought, if I step back here, there's going to be teams all over me. And it just doesn't, wasn't born out like that. You know, not everyone's Kirk Cousins. We didn't talk about Melvin Gordon's uh, landing spot. He's ended up at the Broncos. This was a, a bit strange, Keen. I thought that um, they already had a, a backfield that they were happy enough with. And to be given Melvin Gordon decent money, not, not outrageous money, but decent money seemed... Um, there's something in the shop. I have some money in my pocket. I'm going to buy it. I like Melvin Gordon as a player, and this has always been the concern with him. There wasn't an obvious fit in the offseason. So no matter where he went, he was going to wind up somewhere where you were in a backfield that already had talent. Like One of the main suggestions was Buffalo, who have already got Devin Singletary. Devin Singletary worked with Melvin Gordon. He's a very different type of running back. He's an explosive space player who can work well as a receiver. Melvin Gordon is more of a hammer. He can explode as well. He can be in the receiving game, but he's also at his best when he hits the hole and runs through defenders. The question mark for Denver now is, so you've got a bunch of these really good running backs. Let's just focus on the best two. The best two there are going to be Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay. Lindsay and Gordon are both absolutely brutal, physical, violent running, runnings, or runner, running backs. Sorry. And Lindsay is very different. He's shorter. He's quicker whereas Gordon is more explosive in a straight line. So if the coaching staff is smart, and if they focus on using both of these guys in a way that keeps them both fresh and keeps them both involved enough in the offense to keep that rhythm, then they're going to be able to punish defenses. And it's not an easy thing to do. We talked about this previously with Sonny Michel in uh, New England, where if you can just ride him and run against these defenses that are getting smaller that are focusing more on the passing game, the Broncos could be onto something really, really smart here. But that's presuming they've got a specific plan with Gordon and Lindsay. Otherwise, it could be what happens a lot of the time where it just becomes disruption. You've got too much talent and not enough snaps, and you can't fill, find roles for these guys to specifically fill. So it just all comes down to how good the coaching staff can be and how smart the coaching staff can be, and they just change their offensive coordinator. 
after having Rich Cangarello for one year, and Drew Locke is entering his second year. So Drew Locke looked really good as a rookie. He could re- he could really really uh, explode with the quality of receiver they've got there, and now the quality of running back. So if there's a streamlined passing game built off of an aggressive, dynamic running game, they've got the pieces for that. They've also got Mike uh, Munchak there as their offensive line coach, who's an outstanding coach. So they have all the pieces right now to build uh, a Baltimore Ravens type of running offense, not not Lamar Jackson style, but rather John Harbaugh style that's been yeah. there for the last 10 years where they're going to run through you and throw deep. So hopefully they make it work. I think it could be really interesting, but I, my concern is they're just not really going to have the proper identity. Okay, well, we'll, we'll obviously keep an eye on that. Uh, Trent Williams, and um, so Trent Williams is... Considered to be one of the best left tackles in the game, but we haven't actually seen him be a really good left tackle for quite a period of time, Keen. Um, what, what's your take on the situation here and what's going on? Washington are shooting themselves in the foot here because there's no benefit to forcing Trent Williams to stay in a place he's going to refuse to play. So there's been a lot of uh, medical issues there, with, not, not with Trent Williams himself, but with the diagnosing from the medical team and how Trent Williams does not trust those people anymore. So he refuses to play for Washington. He does not trust trust Dan Snyder or anyone at the very top of the organization. Ron Rivera coming in, you thought might have a little bit of an impact, but the relationship had soured so badly that Trent Williams is just flat out refusing to be there. So a month ago, they claimed that, or the report was that Trent Williams got permission to talk to other teams and work out a trade. But as far as we can know, that was a little bit of a leak and a little bit of a PR move because Trent Williams is, has come out and said that, the, that Washington aren't being serious in these trade talks that they're asking for way too much and they're not actually engaging with the teams trying to trade for him. So I don't know how this is anything other than an ego move for Dan Snyder because it's going to hurt the team with a young franchise, well, a young quarterback, not even a franchise quarterback because Dwayne Haskins is not thought of highly. But it's going to disrupt the locker room there that's already disrupted a little bit. It's costing you draft picks. It's costing you salary. The best thing for everyone involved would be for them to trade him away for a first-round pick or a second-round pick and not hold out for this huge haul that they want. Trent Williams is an incredibly good football player and it's actually really sad that he's not playing because he's one of the few offensive linemen in the league where you can watch a play and he doesn't, doesn't touch the ball, isn't anywhere near the ball, and your eye just wanders towards him because he's doing something incredibly explosive or incredibly violent and picking up a defender and throwing him over the sideline. Yeah, um, Ronan, the, the point about the importance of offensive linemen seems to still be lost on some teams. There's obviously loads of teams who really understand that having the protection right and uh, having the right athletes in place will free up your running game, for example, like the 49ers have done. Or if you've got a young quarterback and not giving them the protection that they deserve, like they did at Houston for the first couple of years of um, Deshaun Watson's career, it's literally a waste of time. Yeah, and Deshaun Watson's a really interesting one because uh, you see his social media murmurings in recent days. He's not too pleased. And the first uh, couple of years, to, your, to what you're saying, he wasn't protected enough. And then the latter couple where they've just been robbing him of all his best players so like the way mobility is going in the nfl where mobility is a or is, is king basically in the nfl and quarterbacks have to be able to get around the offensive line is, has actually taken on more uh, pre- prevalence in that regard so no it's a it is a key one and with trent williams like the redskins must be thanking their lucky stars that there are so so many other dysfunctional franchises in the league because in any other sport they would be looked at as a laughing stock because the last decade has just been such a joke shop over there and the misdiagnosis on like for Trent Williams is so unforgivable that who could actually blame him for wanting to get the hell out of there yeah I mean even the, you did feel like maybe the new regime coming in we're going to be able to fix that and get over that but they obviously have been unable to do so we wouldn't ordinarily talk about uh, Devin Funches but you know these are strange and unusual times that we're living in here Keen. Uh why are we talking about Devin Funches today 
Uh, well, Jack, can I just jump back to Trent Williams first? Because I do have a, an interesting selling point or an interesting idea, maybe a little bit of Madden moves here. But I like the idea of Trent Williams being traded to the Chargers because they traded for Trey Turner, who's a run-blocking right guard. They've got Anthony Lynn there, who was a former running back, former running backs coach, former Rex Ryan disciple, who would love a versatile offensive lineman like Trent Williams. And then they could maybe bring in Cam and have Tyrod there as well. And I feel like there's, a, there's something might be there that would be really, really fun to watch, really impressive. Uh, but yeah, Devin Funches, um, we've got to talk about him because he's a, a reflection on the Packers and the Packers' failure to give Aaron Rodgers a competent supporting cast. So for a while now, the Packers haven't had a second receiver. They've had Devontae Adams, they've had Aaron Jones, and they've had Jimmy Graham. And Jimmy Graham's been washed up for a while. And Aaron Jones is a running back, obviously. Devontae Adams is a very good receiver. Uh, after that, you've got Marcus Vadal scanning they, they found. They've Iquanimous St. Brown. Yes, these are real names. They had... Geronimo um, Allison. Geronimo Allison. Uh, they've had they've had so many random guys who have just hurt them so much. And Rodgers has not had guys who can even get open, never mind catch the ball. And this offseason, you had Emmanuel Sanders, you had Amari Cooper, and the Packers have had money. They released Jimmy Graham, so they had $28 million at one point. So they've had enough money to go out and really get a receiver to play in that Matt LaFleur offense that relies heavily on two receivers rather than three or four on the field at all times. So their now only options are going to be in the draft. And at the draft, there are some superstars at the very top. A guy like CeeDee Lamb in that offense would be incredibly good and incredibly valuable. But CeeDee Lamb's going to be long gone before they get on the clock. So the Packers are now, for probably the sixth or seventh year in a row, not being aggressive, and it's hurting them. And it's the reason why... Aaron Rodgers gets to December and January and he's not able to compete with the very best teams in the league. It's why that playoff game against the 49ers was so simple and so straightforward because, and the same as the regular season game, because the Packers as a team are just not on that level of the best teams in the league, despite Rodgers being as good as he ever is and despite them having some high-end talent. It's the top six or seven players on the roster are fine. It's the eight to... 25, 8 through 30 that they really need to improve and they simply won't do it. And can Funches not have some role here where you have one of the best quarterbacks of all time throwing him open consistently or at least giving him catchable balls in the perimeter so all he has to do is catch the ball and fall out of bounds? You would think, but that's just not the way Devin Funches' career has gone. And we talked about Cam Newton. Cam Newton, unfortunately, used to have Kelvin Benjamin to his left, Devin Funches to his right. They... Panthers specifically drafted those guys because they were tall. And unfortunately, that's all they are. They are guys who can't get open and they can't catch the ball when you throw the perfect passes in the tight windows. So it's simply being on the field, they're making the offense worse. Cam had both. Devin Funches being on one, or Devin Funches being one on one offense, he shuts the whole thing down. Because defenses look at him and go, right, we don't need to worry about him. Put one guy in him, press coverage, shut him down. Let's focus all our coverage on everyone else now. Now everyone else's job gets tougher. And Rodgers suddenly has to make incredible throws into impossible windows. And he gets blamed for throwing the ball away too much when there's no one open. And it's a lack of understanding of what's actually happening downfield. Okay, that's a fair point. I didn't realise that he's, he's the, uh, the anti-Jenga piece where we talk about Javi keeping the whole team together. He's the one that like, ah, that guy, he's ruining it for everybody. <laughs> We can compare him to when Dejan Lovren went in and Liverpool's unbeaten record suddenly went away. Well, Denzel Mims is somebody you want to talk about. The the draft, we understand, is going to be a uh, an event now that won't be in Vegas. That's going to be a charity fundraiser. I don't know if people are going to show up to it or if it's all going to be virtual. They're, they're talking about still having it on the same day. So any port in a storm, that's my motto at the moment. Uh, if we're going to be able to talk about the draft in the next couple of weeks and the draft is going to happen, then we're going to be able to talk about what happens after the draft. All the intrigue of uh, traded draft picks and who goes where will actually be something for us to, uh, to chat about. So um, who is Denzel Mims? What do we need to know about him? 
the draft is actually great fun. Like, I know even if you're just a casual NFL fan, once these guys get picked, you can research them a little bit, even if you know nothing about them. And it's a lot of drama because it's a lot about strategy. And then the Americans do what the Americans do with all the pageantry. And that'll, that'll happen still, even if there's not big crowds in the stadiums. They will find ways to do it. They're already talking about doing seven days, which is an overkill. That's way too much. But they're already t- trying to find ways to make it a big event, regardless of not being in Vegas and having it in specific spots. So you have to do it in a studio or whatever. So it should be great and it should be fun to talk about. Uh, Mims specifically is uh, a very interesting receiver in the sense that he's very big, very strong, very atle- uh, very athletic at the catch point at least. He can make spectacular catches. He's got this big catch radius, but then he doesn't really run great routes. He doesn't really get into his routes quickly. So the question mark for him is, against NFL defenders, will they just shut him down at the line of scrimmage so he never gets open? Or will he learn and develop a little bit like DK Metcalf last year? So you've got this, this is kind of what becomes interesting with the draft. You've got this prospect who is a middling prospect in the sense that he's probably the fourth or the fifth best receiver in his class. But when he gets to the NFL, there won't be a middling landing spot. He'll either be out of the league quickly like Doriel Green Beckham or he'll become DK Metcalf and he'll take a step forward and become this guy who could be a potential superstar. So when when you're drafting this guy, you don't really know what you're getting. You're hoping you can develop him and make him a better player. And if you do, he could become a star. He could become the next Cortland Sutton. Or he could be a guy who you've wasted a draft pick on and be Devin Funches bouncing around the league for the next few years. So Mims is kind of a, a, a relevant example of what we just talked about, except he's a big receiver who plays big. Devin Funches is a big receiver who plays small. This receiver class as a whole, there's three guys at the top who are outstanding. Jerry Judy, CeeDee Lamb, Henry Ruggs, who I think we've talked about previously. Then you've got Mims. And last night, I started looking at Justin Jefferson, who is one of the LSU receivers. He's exclusively a slot receiver. He's got a lot of stuff to work on, too. He doesn't have the upside of Mims, but he has the speed, and he has incredibly good hands, incredibly tough at the catch point, incredibly physical. He's the guy who goes over the middle and gets blown up all the time until someone comes away with the ball. Uh, where do you think he ends up? These are all first-round guys. Right, Mims so is a first-round guy still, yeah? Oh, everyone. Like the this, this year's wide receiver class is being celebrated. Maybe he falls into the second. But everyone loves this year's wide receiver class. I'm five deep at the moment, and I have guys telling me about uh, three or four down the down the rankings who are going to be late in the first round picks. So it's it's a wide receiver heavy, running back lacking draft as far as I can tell. A lot of high quality defensive prospects, quite a few really good offensive linemen. The quarterbacks are question marks. I think some of them have been pushed up a little bit. But outside of that, you've got a lot of talent, and I really like this draft overall. So I think there could be 50 or 60 players coming from this who turn into good NFL players. All right. Um... Ronan, we're talking about maybe doing a classic game club for uh, a version of the snap. Obviously, the NFL have kindly made... It turned out there was loads more stuff on the... the um, uh, what, what is the package called? Um, game Pass. It's Game, game Pass. Pass. Game Pass, yeah, of course. And Game Pass, where I thought there was going to be quite a limited amount of games available, but there's loads of stuff that uh, we can get here in Ireland. Um, there's loads of good documentaries, so the two bills is on it and a f- few other things. Uh, you had a suggestion, Keen. I think, that you wanted to do a game. Ron, is there anything you've seen on um, Game Pass or that we should be talking about or throwing it open to our audience to pick for us? I think Keen's suggestion was uh, Steelers-Cardinals, which I think that was the second Super Bowl that I watched. Um, and just I thought it's like this every year, but it turned out not quite. That's actually an all-time classic Super Bowl. And then another brilliant game, which we remembered at the time and it actually like exceeded expectations, was the Patriots-Seahawks Super Bowl, which had all that drama at the end. But throughout, like, there's just so many interesting wrinkles there. The Chris Matthews thing basically coming from working in Foot Locker. And then a couple of months later, he's catching key passes from Russell Wilson in the Super Bowl, so just uh, that was an amazing game. And then obviously the Ravens 
against the 49ers, Jerry, where, where the lights went out. No, it was terrible. No, it's not. <laughs> Definitely not. Wait, if we watch that back, do we have to sit through the lights? No, that's they, what you call a game. That's a game of two halves right there. They deleted. So, so I, I watched it recently on um, the, the hour-long uh, version that they do, and there was no mention at all in the official film, the official edited version. It was like, it goes from um, a third down play to a punt, and you're like, or whatever it was actually happening. It's like, is that not the bit where the lights went out? No mention. Not, yeah. a, not a hint of anything. That's, that that was a crazy like game. NFL type of archiving. It was a crazy game. Uh, like well, you mentioned Jimmy Smith earlier in the show there and the final play which I don't need to remind you Jerry, but like he's basically was it Crabtree he's all over Crabtree at yeah. the end basically the referee says or the, the referees say uh, you know in the Super Bowl at this stage basically let the guys play and it was kind of a little bit incidental contact but I think if it was a regular season if it was, if it was a week 6-7 game needless to say it's getting put at the one yard um, line George Kittle got screwed for exactly the same thing in the Super Bowl just gone let them play if they let that play that would have been a score at the end of the first half for the 49ers anyway but Kaepernick, had, all, Kaepernick had, like, he, he had four chances to get the ball in the end zone he, he couldn't do it Jer. well whatever that's also the, the knock-on effect of these of these games because they're on such big platforms and such big events. The On that play specifically, Frank Gore misses a block and that impacts the way Kaepernick throws the ball so the ball doesn't go actually near its intended target which would have given it a better chance of being called for pass interference. So you can look at that little bit of a missed block and how it's impacted the NFL because if Kaepernick's a Super Bowl winning quarterback, all the narrative that gets spun later on can't get spun. And then you have the same thing with Devonta Freeman missing a block against the Patriots for the Falcons in their Super Bowl loss when they have that big comeback, which propels uh, the last few years of Brady's career. So you can change these narratives all the time. And we've been very fortunate over the last 15 years, some of the most dramatic, some of the best games played in the NFL have all been Super Bowls. So it's not like you've got to go and look through 10 different regular season games to find a good game. You can find really, really exciting Super Bowls just from the last decade. Right, we'll stick a poll up, we'll pick a game and we'll do that and we'll uh, come back next week and we'll all have watched it for our homework. So you can be part of the OTB American Football Hub where you'll get the latest news around all things Gridiron, including the Snap podcast and the latest news and reports from the Irish American Football League when it restarts. Head over to offtheball.com forward slash club gridiron. My thanks to the lads who have been part of the Snap this week. My thanks to you guys out there for listening and watching as well. We'll see you next week. Best of luck.